All right. Are you ready for Revelation 22? Absolutely. Here. It's been a long time coming, Mike. Yeah, Bye. yeah. But we started mm -hmm. this last summer, didn't we? Did we, we started start this last summer? Yes, it was at, actually it was at the end of August 2019 when we started it. So we've been uh, wow. a year and a couple months, believe it or not. So thank you for uh, thank you for engaging in the journey. I appreciate that, and we'll see how far we get today. If we don't finish today, we'll finish our next uh, meeting. By the way. Um, we will not meet next Sunday. I'll be doing a wedding in Virginia for one of Heather's uh, friends. So we will be uh, <clears throat> we'll be out of town. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flowed down the center of the main street. Now, a couple, a couple things that we have questions about. Um, I'm seeing Lee's message here that she couldn't get in, but that's okay. We'll make sure we, uh, we give her the, the recording. Uh, this river... I think is probably literal and definitely it's, uh, it's figurative, uh, but I think it's both figurative and, and literal. Regardless, it's flowing from the throne of God himself <clears throat> and from the throne of the sun. And that river represents uh, purity um, the holiness of God that permeates the new Jerusalem. And uh, again, it's not just any river. This is the river that flows from God himself. And, and so it is the lifeblood of eternity. It is the purity, uh, representing the purity and the holiness that eternity holds for those of us who, uh, who are with God throughout the ages and ages and ages. Dr. Uh, Jeremiah writes this. He, he uh, notes that almost all major cities in the world have rivers running through them, if you think about it. So we can think about New York City has the Hudson. Uh, Washington, D.C. has the Potomac. Uh, even Cairo has the Nile and and uh, Budapest has the, the Danube, the Blue Danube. Uh, but Jerusalem today has no river running through it. But in eternity, it will. And uh, it'll be that river that comes from uh, God himself. There's an interesting reference to a river in Psalm 46. And uh, let me just read this to you. I, I, I don't know that there's a direct connection, but as we read it, I think you'll see that you know, there, there's possibly a connection to be made. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam, let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. 
A river brings joy to the city of God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. So it's kind of interesting there in verse 4 uh, to note that a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. There never has been a, a river in Jerusalem. If you remember, it's way up on a hill, what, about 2,500 feet in the air, I think, uh, at, at elevation. And so um, e even as the psalmist is talking about it, he must be talking figuratively uh, because there never has been a river exactly in Jerusalem. But there will be when Jesus comes and, and sets up his kingdom. Now, remember uh, from the measuring of Jerusalem that the new Jerusalem for eternity is 1,500 miles long, it's 1,500 miles wide, and it's 1,500 miles high. <clears throat> and we noted that uh, it's not quite 1,500 miles from here to Denver, uh, a little less than that. So if you think about the distance from here to Denver is how wide and long and high the new Jerusalem uh, the new Jerusalem is and and this holy river now flows through it and now John describes what's on the banks of that river apparently on both sides and you'll uh, you'll recognize some of our studies from uh, Genesis when you hear this on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So we've heard about this tree before, right? In the creation narrative. Let me go back and just read that for you. Genesis 3.22. <clears throat> and the Lord God said, this man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Okay, so the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil has already been consumed. And God is saying, man may not reach out now to the tree of life and have eternal life. And so what happens, if you remember... Uh, is that he drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, as you remember, and a, a cherubim and a flaming sword is uh, put flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life and prevent uh, man from reaching it. So now, <clears throat> whether it's figurative or literal or both, and I think both, the tree of, of life is now plural. At least there are two, one side, uh, one on each side of this river flowing from the throne room of God. And uh, some think perhaps it's more like a, uh, a, a group of trees. Some say, no, it's just one on one side or the other. Um, I don't know. But uh, either way, at least there's one tree on, on both sides of the river. And uh, it goes on to say in Revelation here, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. 
All right. So if we're paying attention very closely, you may have a question that that I thought of immediately. <clears throat> if there's no sin in the new creation in, in, in eternity with with God, why are there trees of healing? Why are they needed? And I don't know that I have a great answer, but one that I think uh, may I have be to close. say, Pastor Mike. Yes, I did think of that when I read the scripture. While Good. ago, I thought, why do we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean that that's that's a valid question. Here's what some of the professors from Dallas Theological Seminary write. They say the word healing, which is therapian. In the, uh, in the Greek, therapian, can be understood as health-giving. The English therapeutic is derived from that Greek word. So even though there is no sickness in the eternal state, the tree's fruit and leaves seem to contribute to the physical well-being of those in the eternal state. So it's not that people will be unhealthy, they are saying perhaps this tree of life provides, you know, that aromatherapy maybe that sometimes is, is, is nice. Or I don't particularly like other people except my wife touching me. So I don't, I'm not keen on massages. Just don't, you know, I'm not into being touched by people that aren't my wife. But anyway, um, <laughs> Some people like it, and that's fine. But it, you know, it'd be like a good massage or aromatherapy, or or people that go to a spa, uh, you know, to have a manicure and pedicure and the whatever you do in a spa. Never been to one, but you know, it, it it's that sense that they're saying that uh, this is a an add-on, I guess you could say, an extra benefit. Uh, the tree of life that in eternity gives us uh, just just an extra sense of the privilege of eternity well, you know, itself. Trees itself gives me a feeling of well-being. Just the ah. tree, even now. Mm. Uh, mm. So uh, I, I, that's pretty exciting to just every time I see tree, that we'll have trees, I get pretty excited. I've got a tree outside my window door here, which probably causes me some allergy reactions, <laughs> but I would not do without, I live around a lot of trees. And uh, after I bought this place, I thought, God, I hadn't really thought of it, but I know you know how much I love trees. So I can mm. go out and take a walk, which I should have done yesterday. And, uh, have that sense of well-being just by so i get that totally yeah. good yeah good 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 observation uh so that's uh, how people far more intelligent and learned than i am uh <laughs> approach that uh you know i just i still have the question and maybe it's one of those un imponderables that we won't figure out until we get there uh, right. But anyway, there will be trees of life, one on at least one, uh, if not an orchard, on both sides of uh, of this river. And uh, 
my guess would be being beside the river, those trees themselves are, are soaking up the nutrients of that river of life that flows from the thrones. So. That may be like elderberries. Uh, could be like elderberries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hear all of these different. Right. Yeah. Right. So whether these uh, leaves of the trees are symbolic or literal, their presence indicates a connection back to the Garden of Eden and mm. the fruit of the tree of life that uh, signifies eternal life. And it will be free uh, there to, to partake of. Uh, of course, we'll all have eternal life, but again, it may be just that extra add-on that, that that gives us more vibrancy. I, I don't know. We'll see. So that that presence seems to connect as well to John's next statement in verse three here. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. So he right after he talks about these trees of life, he reminds us there will not be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. So, so there's this sense of no need for artificial light. But I think we talked about, you know, last time that wouldn't it be nice to have sunsets? Yes. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, you know, not, not darkness in terms of not being able to find your way through it, but there is some beauty in, in, you know, the darkness of the starry sky, you know, yeah. for example, and, and, and such. So we're, again, some of those imponderables we're not quite sure of, but, um, I'm thinking that some of the things that we really enjoy on this side of eternity that God will certainly provide in more beautiful ways than we can even imagine on, on the other side of eternity. A day like yesterday makes me <laughs> long for it much more. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Those kind of days just get me down. So. <laughs> yeah, rainy days and Mondays always get yeah, me down, right? Yeah. I don't know why that popped into my head. That was Burt Bacharach, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, let's go now to uh, verse, uh, verse six. Then the angel said to me, John, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So here the angel is reassuring John and, and through John to us, the, the readers of Revelation, that everything John has seen and everything that he has heard is trustworthy and it is true. So the angel has been sent to tell the servants of God that there's an, an urgency about what John has seen and heard, meaning in my mind that there's an urgency about completing the mission that Jesus has given us before he returns, namely to 
going, taking from Matthew 22, 37 to 40, loving God with everything we have, loving our neighbors uh, as ourselves, and then uh, taking up the uh, great commandment uh, Jesus gave us before he ascended into heaven. And Matthew 28, to go, or as we are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching all to obey the commands that Jesus has given us. And, uh, and so that's our mission. But, you know, this, I think, adds the urgency to it that Jesus says, I'm coming soon. So our responsibility is to be about the business that uh, he has given us. <clears throat> and then a it's, word. It's interesting, you know, Michael Douglas, it's truth. I gave in a court, right? About the urgency that you said, you know, about God's business, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I'm so blessed. Like I live in a court where my neighbors, it's amazing. The ones that are truly showing the Christ love to me, right? are the ones that are non-Christian. I have three Christians here living in the court and they've got the prayer scripture in front of their yard and they don't even socialize with the non-Christians. Mm. They keep in their clique. And we see it every day out in the court. They don't do that whatsoever. And it's really sad because I, I'm just like blown away. <laughs> just it's such a bad reflection, you know, of Christianity in the court. And that's something that they're not even seeing for themselves what they're doing. And as a believer, I'm seeing what they're doing. And the non-believers can't stand them. You know, thinking of John... The, uh, he really isn't the author here. He was the, the transcriber. In the Gospel of John, as opposed to the other three uh, synoptic Gospels, John focused on relationship. Mm -hmm. he, he left out a lot of the details. Uh, for example, uh, when Matthew gives us uh, all of these uh, genealogies, for example, and uh, Luke gives us so much of the detail, the historical detail of Jesus's life. John's focus in his gospel was always on two things. The relationship that Jesus built with not only his disciples, but the people around him. And then uh, secondarily, not only uh, that, uh, that relationship, but the miracles, the, the deeds that Jesus did. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think if you, uh, if you study the book of John and you're not out making connections and building relationships like Jesus did, we're kind of like the, um, was it the Thessalonians who, upon learning that, you know, Jesus was coming back, Kind of said, okay, great. So we'll just sit back. We'll quit working and quit witnessing, and we'll just wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul, uh, of course, uh, excoriated them for that, called them lazy, and reminded them that they're to be about the work. So yeah, um, and and I think, you know, that 
unfortunately is probably a a truism in, in a lot of the body of Christ right now. And I think part of that is because we are such a, uh, at least we were, um, a, a wealthy nation, if I can put it that way. In other words, we're not, we don't, in, in our first world problems, they are nothing compared to third world problems. You know, we're not dealing typically with major infections in our water and, and we're not dealing with the diseases uh, that third world countries normally have, the COVID-19 notwithstanding. And so I think, um, I think some of that contributes to the fact that we get a little lackadaisical as believers in, in a country basically that is, that is wealthy compared to others. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good reminder. Uh, and, and that's why I think part of the reason that revelation is given to us, no matter how well we're doing as the body mm -hmm. of Christ, no matter where we're located, we need to be reminded of that urgency of Jesus coming back and, and then the need for us to be connecting with others. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And then that first Peter two twelve passage about, uh, you know, others watching us, uh, observing us, and uh, potentially coming to Christ because of just watching us is, is a truism. And that's something that, that's a double-edged sword. That's something that we can take great uh, joy in. And that's something that we also need to be a little bit careful of as well. Right. Yeah, no, true. And it's non-believers that watches more, you know, than oh, other. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so in verse 7 now, Jesus comes on the scene again, speaking to John. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And remember that the word prophecy, uh, although we normally think of it in terms of what's going to happen in the future, uh, prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, uh, was often the announcing of truth, a message from mm -hmm. God, a direct message from God is a prophetic word. So uh, if you come to me and, and, and God tells you, go tell Pastor Mike uh, that interpretation was, uh, was incorrect and you, you got it from God, then you are giving me a prophetic word. Uh, a word of truth from the Lord himself. And so that word prophecy there can have that dual, dual meaning. And note the blessing upon those of us who obey the words of prophecy and revelation. Um, John was so overcome by what he heard that he falls down and he worships at the feet of the angel who was in front of him. But he was corrected. He was given a, a, a prophetic word. He was corrected by the angel uh, in verse 8. And he says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book, Worship only God. 
And I think that's an important passage for uh, pastors and spiritual leaders and leaders of Bible studies, uh, etc., to remember. Um, in our humanness, it, it can be, especially if we become highly successful, and I'm not, I'm not trying to secretly name any names here just i'm taking a broad bro broad brush approach here when we start to put a lot of the more of the focus on ourselves as teachers or leaders that's a sin uh, because it's pushing people towards idolizing someone other than god worship only god paul was very good at reminding people who needed to be worshipped, right? Very, and, and John the Baptist from the get-go, from the start of Jesus's ministry, uh, he was very clear uh, with the people that he encountered that uh, I am not the light. You know, the one who is the light is coming. And, uh, and so I think it's very important for us uh, uh, even those who become very, very successful in ministry financially and, and otherwise is to remember who's in charge and that we worship only God, not, not the bearer of, of, of God's news. Right. Welcome back, Lee. You're back. Good. Good to see you there. All uh, right. Now, <laughs> to understand more fully the opening of verse 10, we really have to go back to Daniel 12.9. And again, we will be studying Daniel after this, so we'll connect some of the dots uh, as we go along in, in 2021. But uh, verse 10 connects directly to Daniel uh, 12, verses 8 and 9, because Daniel is told to seal up what he has seen and heard. Daniel 12.8, I heard what he said but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. So Daniel is told by God to keep secret what he has been given and not uh, pursue unpacking it uh, because that will be revealed in the end times. So John is told the exact opposite now. Now it is time. Uh, so John in verse 10 is told the opposite of what Daniel was told. Verse 10, then he instructed me, the angel, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously, and let the one who is holy continue to be holy. The phraseology is interesting here because I think we can misinterpret what was being said to John. Um, what, what's being said is not uh, affirm and let those who are evil continue in their evilness. So that's not the message here. The intent here is not to encourage or facilitate that, but it's a, 
it's a sense that those who reject what we see here in Revelation, those who reject it will continue in their evilness, in their vileness, uh, in, in doing harm. But those who accept what's being told to them here in Revelation, they will continue as righteous people to live righteously. And uh, the one, uh, the one meaning those who are holy, who are followers of Christ, who are engaging uh, in that process of sanctification, they will continue to pursue holiness. Does that make sense? That's, that's really very interesting. I mean, I was just thinking about the missionaries, you know, when they go out, like parts of different uh, worlds, right? Um, like Africa, there's so much voodoo and, you know, all that worship, you know, satanic ways, mm -hmm. right? In India, right? Right. I mean, just so, I mean, just to think and visualize how missionaries are able to be in that type of environment and knowing what's going on and that itself is um, very challenging because I remember when I was really involved in the Muslim outreach, right, for Crescent Project, how mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. had testimonies of people who went out to the different parts of the world where, uh, you know, Islam is so strong mm -hmm. and their life was in danger. And mm -hmm. because they knew the... Uh, intensity of demonic sides and evil behaviors and how they rejected God. And so this itself, you think about how the missionaries have to be armored on constantly. And as humans, you know, they're not Christ. I mean, Christ couldn't, you know, basically mm -hmm. uphold the challenges, but for the missionaries to be on the field like that, uh, it's just, I, I can't even fathom, because here in America, it's hard for us as Christians to deal with people who have toxic behaviors, right? And to be surrounded by them, or to be, you know, sometimes married to them. I'm sorry, but, you know, how can, it's, it's challenging, Pastor Douglas. It is, uh, it is challenging, and I think one of the issues is that Generally, in the U.S., we don't see the animistic cultures that you see in parts of Africa, uh, the third world countries, South America. Um, friends of ours were missionaries in the Philippines, Eric and Debbie Smith. And he told me a story that... Uh, they were, he was walking with another villager who was not a believer, but uh, they were walking along this path that was lined by trees and, and the villager stopped cold and began to shake with fear. And Eric's looking around. He says, well, what's the matter? He says, don't you see them? He says, see what? He says, the duendes, the twende, duendes. And in, in Spanish, a duende is, is an imp uh, or in, in this case, it would be uh, uh, a messenger from Satan, one of, his, uh, one of his minions. And so because they lived in this animistic culture and this, um, the, 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 the evilness was so rampant, uh, 
they actually saw uh, these duendes. Eric couldn't see them because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in, inside of him. And so he prayed that God would remove all of these duendes, and all of a sudden they all disappeared. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and we hear stories like this. You'll hear, uh, you know, I've heard several missionary stories about, um, you know, being under attack by, by villagers, and, and they, uh, they're coming at them, and the missionaries are standing there, and suddenly uh, the villagers stop cold, and, and they turn around and they run away. And later on, as some of them come to Christ, uh, they, they would say, well, didn't you see the angels there with the swords and, and such? And no, you know, so God has a way of dealing with, um, with this. Uh, we in America typically don't see it. I, I, I will tell you, and I'm sure you, you, you know it if you've traveled a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy, yeah, yeah, exactly. I enjoy the French Quarter in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. I love um, the little, um, what's the name of it? The World Cafe there, Cafe du Monde. And the beignets. The beignets and the cafe lattes. That's a piece of heaven. <laughs> but you can feel mm. the uh, warfare. You can feel the the evil one's presence in the French Quarter, mm -hmm. because there are mm -hmm. so much of the, you know, yeah. the, the voodoo and, and yeah. such. And then there are um, areas of the U.S. where, you know, the satanic church is very mm -hmm. prevalent and such, where mm -hmm. you feel that. And I like, uh, you know, Roshni, certainly probably in Fiji, you, you probably and, sense and some of that as well. Yeah, and I visited a lot of homes, like in Mountain Houses, a lot of Indians that moved in here from India because they're engineers, right? Tons of engineers. Uh, majority of them are engineers, and that's their new community is Mountain House here. And I walked in homes, and I could still feel the presence, the influence of what they believe, you know, in their surroundings. Um, I can sense it because I was there once, you know? So I understand that it's there. And that's what's powerful about having the Holy Spirit. Because once you've been born again, you won't ever forget where you were and what you worship and what's involved. That yeah. there's still true, you know, demonic evilness in it. And that's what stops me from ever going there ever again because of that. Sure. Uh Many of you know uh, Cheryl Birch. She's a amazing woman of a woman of God in our in our area here, and she came from a um, she came to Christ right out of new the New Age movement, and she can look back and see all that darkness that was involved in the New Age movement. Uh, the the problem mm -hmm. and and you know getting back. If you go back and look at the prologue, we talked about this this morning, you look at the prologue of John 1, the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, John talks about Jesus being the light and life of men. 
and how darkness cannot survive in the light. Uh, the light pierces the darkness and, and drives it away. And so, you know, and that, and that gets back to our discussion earlier about um, reflecting the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ in what we do, uh, whether it's in, you know, an intentional act of serving, serving someone else, or whether it's just the way we comport ourselves in front of other people and in private as well. Um, we are reflecting the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. We are uh, reflecting uh, uh, to, to, to a certain extent, his light that is reflected through us to other people. And, and that's why the darkness gets pierced every time when truth and, and God's light comes into the, comes into the fore here. So uh, yeah, it's very interesting that God would pick John to be the one to record these words. And, and perhaps not only because of his relationship with Christ, the very uh, close brotherhood there, but also John's sensitivity to the character of Christ, the nature of Christ. Uh, understanding the light that he represented. And it, if, if you look at the Gospel of John and, and you read as we have done through Revelation, I think you can see why God probably picked John uh, to be the, uh, uh, the scribe here for this incredible book. All right, Jesus comes. Uh, yes, go ahead. Okay, okay. one, um, Monte Vista Chapel is going to be going through John for the next five months. Awesome. So that's interesting. So then I've got a Wearsby book here. I got a couple of things on verse 10 and 11. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Okay. On verse 10, it says, Jesus Christ coming will occur so quickly that men will not have time to change their character. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about, you know, the people, the vile people. And then in verse 11, it says, therefore, verse 11, therefore, is a solemn warning that decision determines character. Mm. And character determines destiny. Suffering believers might ask, is it worthy to live a godly life? And John's reply is, yes, Jesus is returning and he will reward you. I like that. It's a good reminder for me to the decisions determine character and character determines destiny. Um, you know, we never get anywhere just like right off it comes we've made many choices way before we get there <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and i think we forget that and which uh which of his books is that from this is uh, the wearsby his um it's called be victorious it's on revelation that is yeah, a got some good stuff that I is like tremendous it's usually the one i <laughs> Yeah, well, wow, she's so gifted. That was a great. Oh, yeah. Well, you'll great. hear more when we go to Daniel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jesus comes back on the scene here in verse 12, and he uh, is echoing, uh, so to speak, his words back in verse 7. Verse 12 Look, I am coming soon. 
bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus here will bring perfect judgment and justice and, and a perfect rewarding of his, uh, of his servants. I think one of the tragedies of today, even within the body of Christ, is this, um, oh, John fell out again, is, is this uh, redefinition of the word justice. especially over the past year, the use of the word justice has often been um, substituted for the use of the word revenge. Justice sounds better. But as you listen to those who are crying out for it, what they're crying out for is revenge, uh, crying out in anger. And uh, anger is understandable. There's, there's righteous anger when there is injustice. But God's justice is not revenge. It is perfect justice that matches the penalty to the crime. And the, the big crime being the, uh, the denial of, of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus is confirming first here who he is. He says, I'm the I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega. Of course, those are the uh, first and last letters of the Greek, uh, the Greek alphabet. Verses 14 and 15 address the rewards and the judgments uh, a little more descriptively. Verse 14, <clears throat> blessed are those who wash their robes. Interesting picture. I'll get to that in a second. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Remember, we just talked about the tree of life uh, being both sides of, of that river flowing from the throne room. Now, what about this phrase, blessed are those who wash their robes? I think the King James Version probably translates it better than the later translations. The King James Version reads this way. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the sense of, of what's being said here. Anybody else have any other thoughts on that? Washing their robes? Wearsby says the same thing. Does he? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't realize what version it was, but he does quote that verse. He doesn't say what the version is. Yeah, and and the change about washing robes that that really came with later manuscripts that that were found in in the Middle East, and um, I don't know whether it was translation or the copying or whatever, but in this particular case, I you know even those back in the 1600s i think king james and his translators were right on the money on this one yes about it being uh, uh blessed are those who do his meaning jesus's commandments yeah and now verse 14 is the last of seven blessings or beatitudes in revelation uh we we've seen um uh, sixth of them here we're going to see the seventh and I'll, I'll i'll go back and review the six before we 
before we're done here. The first blessing in Revelation, the first beatitude, so to speak, the Revelation beatitude is in Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's the first blessing. The second blessing or beatitude is in verse four, in uh, chapter 14, verse 13, Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. All right, that's blessing number two. Blessing number three. I don't know why I didn't write down the reference here. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Well, you won't catch me doing that anyway. But <laughs> I know. like, what the heck? For the, <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah, that, that would not be good. All right. <laughs> Revelation 19.9. You know, Pastor Mike. Yes. About that, uh, I mean, I know we're all making fun, but right. uh, if people, especially people that are legalistic or black and white, or think, well, I wouldn't be doing that, but they all they do do that because um, they aren't staying faithful. You know, spiritually, they're doing it. Other than, you know, they think of it as some people would think of that as physical, as you just said. Yeah. And, and I think uh, in this case, you know, uh, one, one of the rules of thumb that we've used for the past year and couple months is that we approach Revelation literally, unless there's an obvious figurative. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Is, we probably uh, all aren't going to take our clothes off. And yeah, no, out. no. Yeah. Uh, not, not a good... in my younger day, but not today. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, not, but not a good witness me. for us. What's interesting, it's, it's basically, you know, focusing on the Jewish culture. They don't really, I mean, this is, you know, they don't really are, they're very modest. <laughs> why even have this it's interesting in revelation uh good point and i would say the same thing goes for uh islam yeah exactly right and and you know all the regulations and the rules about covering and yet spiritually they're naked you, you know so to speak uh like a paradox think, of it yeah they think they're covered uh, yeah. but they're not yeah. And, and, and so that's, uh, again, one of the reasons why we have revelation here. And uh, I think one of the reasons why uh, there are so many um, supernatural appearances to the Islamic world is because they are so steeped in this that a vision from Christ himself, himself is needed. Uh, sometimes or an angelic presence anyway, in order for them to, to, to mm -hmm. really understand the message. Yeah. All right. Uh, number 
4, Revelation 19.9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And of course, we remember the, the marriage supper of the Lamb referred to not only in Revelation, but in, uh, of course, in, in Matthew as well. All right, the blessing number five is Revelation 20, verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Remember, this is speaking about those who are martyred during the tribulation period. They receive a special blessing and, uh, and they will be priests of God and Christ, reigning with Christ for that millennium period. Special blessing for those who are martyred uh, during the tribulation period. Number six is in uh, what we read today, verse seven, chapter 22, verse seven. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then the last blessing is where we're picking up right now in 22.14. I'm going to read the King James Version here. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates to the city. And so there's those seven very beautiful blessings. We think of, you know, the Beatitudes in Matthew uh, five, but uh, there's there are beatitudes here in in Revelation as well. All right, um, Mr. Mike. Yes, one about being clothed is Revelation um, sixteen fifteen. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I actually finished this at 5.30 in the morning. So <laughs> I'm surprised I'm not seeing other typos, but anyway. Okay. Uh, it that is before or after you slept? <laughs> well, sleep was elusive last night. I kind of did it in shifts. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, okay. I'll tell you what, we can finish this in within 10 minutes. Are you up for that or? Yes. Are you up for it? Yes. Okay. Hearing yeah, it no, works for me. Hearing no no's, let's do it. Okay. Um, verse 15 now is in stark contrast to what we've been reading about these blessings. Here's verse 15, referring to the city of the New Jerusalem here. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. And the dogs referred to here are not there. It's, it's a derogatory term about the people who are outside mm -hmm. the gate. And these are the people who reject Christ and continue in their opposition to him. They will never enter the holy city, uh, the, new, uh, the new Jerusalem. They will be eternally separated from God. And the metaphor is that these dastardly dogs are being kept 
outside the gates of the city. And it's a word picture. Uh, it's a it's a picture of being unrepentant and eternally separated from God, seeing where God is, knowing where he is, knowing where the entrance to the city is, but not being able to enter the city. Can you imagine facing that for an eternity? It just, again, I think for us, it lends urgency to our role as, uh, as witnesses. All right, and then in verses 16 and 17, there's a powerful invitation to the readers who have not believed. And Jesus speaks directly to them here through John, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And the bride here obviously uh, means the church, the, uh, the followers, the body of Christ. So it's the spirit and the bride or the church, the body of Christ say this. So the book of Revelation here is not just future prophecy as we talked about earlier, but it's a blessing of eternal life aimed at those who do not yet believe. And it's a reminder to us that they're out there and we must be about the mission of reaching them. So that urgency not just applies to them, it applies to us as well. And then verse uh, 18, verses 18 and 19 provide a stark warning and a reason why we take our time to research, study, and exegete Revelation very carefully. Uh, I did not rush through this. We did not rush through this, and that's by design, so we don't mis knowingly mishandle it. Verse 18, and I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. And I think that that means being lazy about exegeting revelation. I don't think it's unintentional errors, but it is, it is a warning to us, especially those of us who are, are teachers, that we have to do this right prayerfully and research to the nth degree as much as we can uh, to make sure that we do not change one nuance uh, of Revelation. Pastor right, Mike, yes. if anybody wants to know about Revelation, I'm going to tell them I don't know anything. Go talk to Pastor <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and here we go. We're almost there. Then in verses 20 to uh, 21, there's a simple but very powerful statement from Christ and a very powerful but simple reaction from John. First, these words from Christ himself, verse 20. 
He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. John responds to Jesus by saying, yes, amen, come Lord Jesus. Now remember that word amen or amen, or if you pronounce it in the Greek, amen. Um, (laughs) Well, we commonly use it to end a prayer in its its original Hebrew uh, root and in its uh, uh, New Testament times as well. At the beginning of a sentence, amen meant, here is something that is sure, it is certain, it is true, it is trustworthy, you can bank on it, it's from God. So um, in, in, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, when Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, what he's saying in the Greek is, amen, amen. It's that double amen in the Greek. Verily, verily, truly true. What you're about to hear is double true. Uh, you, you can be, It's verifiable. It's factual. So that is often where amen is used at the beginning of a sentence. Uh, we get it as truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you. At the end of a sentence, or when it stands alone, amen means uh, let it be or let it be so, or so let it be, Uh, so it is, so be it, Uh, may it be fulfilled, and that's the use that we uh, often use, and and in terms of benedictions, that's often how it is used as well, and I think that's the, that's the sense of John's response here, Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I'm coming soon, and John responds, so be it, or may it be fulfilled, or this is true. So it's John's affirmation using that wonderful word from God, amen. And uh, a final note on amen, and, and, and I'll end with this, and then verse 21. Um, some researchers on Bible Hub did, did a nice thing here. They said <clears throat> it was a custom which passed over from the synagogues into the Christian assemblies that when he who had read or discoursed had offered up a solemn prayer to God, the others in attendance responded, Amen, and thus made the substance of what was uttered their own. So uh, the, the tradition of ending a prayer or ending a, a teaching with Amen uh, dated back to the Hebrew, to the, uh, to the Old Testament, and carried on into the New Testament times as well. Uh, Paul makes reference to this real quick, almost done, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 6. And what he's saying here is don't, don't use that word amen if you don't know what they're talking about. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 14, 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So there's a little history there, an affirmation of that's why, or that's one of the ways that amen, amen, uh, amen was uh, was being uh, was being used and then finally we end verse 21 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And I have nothing to put beyond that. <laughs> Amen. 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 Wow. Amen. Wow. Thanks for the journey, you guys. Thank, Thank you, you for the for teaching. The journey. Well, you're welcome. And uh, it is, uh, it's just been an incredible blessing to do this. And thank you for voting to do that. And uh, I apologize for my initial, really? <laughs> uh, but it was, yeah, it was well worth it. And uh, it's just been a blessing to me personally to, uh, to go through this and, and, and to have you journey with me. And I, I think that it's very appropriate that we uh, begin our study of Daniel uh, the next time we meet. So uh, we are going to be uh, gone next Sunday. Again, I'll be uh, back east um, on the 10th. So we will come back on the 17th of January to begin the study of Daniel. Okay. Great. A amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, Brenda, how about, uh, would you mind closing us today? And you can even do an amen at the end. Amen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Father, we just come to you this afternoon and thank you, Lord, for this study, Father, and and how you've brought us through it, Lord. Some from the beginning, I joined partway through, but you, there's so much packed into it. And it wasn't a, an accident um, that it would be something we would study during 2020. Who knew a year ago what the year would bring? And we mm -hmm. thank you for encouraging us through your word and through prophecy and through all of everything that is packed into this book of Revelations, Lord. Thank you for each person, Lord, that uh, uh, has been in the study. And I thank you for Pastor Mike and for the wisdom you've imparted to him. Uh, we just thank you. And we look forward with great anticipation what you have in store in Daniel for us for the coming year. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very amen. Much. Thank you. Thank you, Goodbye, everybody. Lovely. Thank you. God bless right. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. We'll see you on the 17th. Bye-bye. Bye. Good morning. Thank you. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you. That was wonderful. Uh, that was just a marvelous uh, in-depth study that you, you've given us and uh, greatly appreciated and we're able to understand it. Just have to keep reading and studying it. Uh, as we study Daily, we realize that things we read uh, in the future, in the past, all of a sudden have more revelation to us, more understanding. Yeah, so, absolutely, that's, that's what about it, and I thank you so much.